Hello and welcome to this week's Golf Shake podcast. My name is Kieran Clark, coming to you just a few days after the 117th United States Open came to its conclusion, where Brooks Kepka came through, an American hero when he came through and won his national championship at Aaron Hills. And we'll discuss that this week uh, on the Golf Shake podcast, go through the whole tournament, talk about the winner, the course itself, Aaron Hills, which of course was a, a new venue for the US Open, was uh, somewhat contentious going in and had kind of a mixed response coming out of it. Was it too easy for the US Open? Was it atypical for a US Open? Or was it actually fun to see these guys going out there and making birdies and eagles and being more like a, a Masters or a PGA Championship? Obviously, it's a good debate to have and we'll have that again this week with uh, Owen Davis, my colleague and co-host here. And we'll also discuss later in the on in the podcast towards the end about premium golf balls which are now kind of a big thing on the golf market it's kind of an emerging thing now it's a big hot topic and uh, there are so many brands out there coming out with new releases all the time which are the best for you how can you get into one to fit your game uh, there's so much information out there it's hard to break through it and we'll do our best on the Golf Shake podcast this week to try and find the best ball for your game. But of course, my friend and colleague here, Owen Davis, is now in the south of England where he's sweltering in, in the midst of a dramatic heat wave throughout uh, that part of the UK. So, Owen, have you melted yet and how are you? I'm in the process of melting, Kieran. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm good. It is very, very, very hot uh, for my liking. Um, any international listeners we have, uh, maybe the three of them, or four of them might uh, not sympathise with me uh, when I'm saying it's 32, 33 degrees, um, which is high 80s, 90s Fahrenheit, isn't it? And uh, and I'm suffering badly, but I can't cope with it. Uh, but for us in England, um, that's quite unusual. But it is very humid as well, um, so it's making it quite difficult at night, and uh, I'm praying for a thunderstorm to break it down anytime soon, as long as I'm not on the golf course when it happens. You see, that's the thing, listeners, and particularly international listeners here, the burgeoning audience that we have there, is that people in the UK, they go on about the weather all the time, whether it's good or bad or indifferent. If it rains, they complain about that. If it's cold, they'll complain about that. And then if it's nice and hot, they'll complain about that as well. So in the end, it's very true that indeed the stereotype of people from the UK being grumpy and moany and not, not ever happy, it's probably true. Uh, but actually up here in Scotland, it's much more kind of hospitable in terms of the temperature. It's maybe in the, in the low 20s here, much more pleasant by the seaside. And oh, and I'm not sure about you uh, playing golf, but I played golf actually earlier today, played the Straff Links at uh, St Andrews, kind of the so-called easier course. It has a bit of fescue grass on it right now. It's quite long and tough. And I actually had a, had a really eventful, it wasn't even a round, it was actually 10 holes in the end. Uh, I got off to quite a decent start. I was actually level par, Owen, after five holes with a birdie. Wow. Missed, I missed a couple of birdie chances too. I actually had a putt for eagle on a short par four, so I was going great gun. So walking onto the fifth, uh, sorry, the sixth tee, I was at level par. Walking off the tenth green, Owen, I was eleven over par. <laughs> so like, nice to see and you. I hit my tee shot on the eleventh. <laughs> yeah, well, I hit my tee shot onto an eleventh into the fescue grass, and I just walked off the course. I had enough. Uh, my my head had gone. My head, had, uh, my mind was gone. I was um, I lost the plot. It was a what we say in Scotland a, a heed's gone moment. I just lost my the plot and I walked off the course. But unfortunately, I can't quite blame the heat because it wasn't that hot. So it just shows you that Owen, I can actually sometimes for a little kind of portions of a round play some quite decent golf. But unfortunately, I'm practically certifiable in terms of being a nutcase, and uh, that unfortunately gets in my way too often. But one guy, of course, Owen who uh, 
didn't uh, get in his own way at the weekend was, of course, Brooks Kepka, who came through and played brilliantly on the final day at Aaron Hills, really took control of the championship, I thought, right from the start. He was the one guy that came out and got off to a good start, looked really assertive, uh, obviously powerful player, but he looked really calm, collected, didn't really put a foot wrong all day, was actually unlucky with a few kind of putts that could have gone in, maybe even been a better score in the end. And then, of course, it was actually no one else really made a move towards him during the final round in the end, Justin Thomas fell away. Tommy Fleetwood sort of hung on but didn't really make a positive move in the right direction. Uh, Hideki Matsuyama, who started well back, came through and obviously posted a score. And at that point, you sort of thought, well, maybe that could be a p- potential playoff number. But really, almost simultaneously, after Matsuyama had posted 12 under, Kepka went on and reeled off three straight birdies and really that was it. The championship was over at that point and he could have afforded a weekend of a, a, a fluff at the end of the last hole. But obviously a guy, Owen, who, you know, Brooks Kepka, he's kind of the archetypal modern professional golfer. He's obviously very powerful off the tee, athletic. He's a, he's a proper athlete. Uh, he kind of has this calm demeanour that sort of masks, uh, I think, a real strong kind of confidence and self-belief. And he has that kind of swagger to his game. And of course, he had quite a unique journey throughout the game. He turned professional five years ago, actually won an event on the Challenge Tour in Europe that year, went back to America trying to qualify for the PGA Tour through the Q School, but came up two shots short. So he took advantage of the status he had in Europe, came over in 2013, and he won three times that year on the Challenge Tour, graduating straight on to the European Tour, uh, where he played and he won the Turkish Airlines Open uh, in 2014. That took him over to the PGA Tour. He won on the Phoenix Open two years ago and, of course, made a Ryder Cup debut last year. But, oh, and looking at his game, you know, obviously a guy who we've talked about as being a potential winner, a potential major champion, but he hasn't quite um, won that many events over his time so far. But how impressed were you by his performance at the weekend there in the US Open? Yeah, he was great, wasn't he? He was absolutely brilliant. I mean, it's not it's not any surprise, is it, at all, that he's he's gone on and won. I, I know he hasn't won loads of times on the PJ tour but he's been up there a lot and every time he gets on a leaderboard you think oh he's, he's dangerous he could he could go and win this and um so it was it was absolutely no surprise that he went and won it and I have to say Kieran our predictions last week and all the people we talked about did woefully badly uh, badly in fact they, I think they all missed the cut um yeah. so uh, be wary uh, that's kind of a health warning if you're going to bet on our predictions uh, you might like to look twice but Saying that, um, the guy that came through and won it was in a similar mould to the player or the players that we thought would go on and win. So in a similar mould to Dustin Johnson. Um, and I think he actually has the same kind of physio uh, coach as well. And obviously he's in the same sort of stable with the Harmons. But um, yeah, he was super, super impressive. Um, didn't didn't overpower the golf course as such, but obviously had that game where he could, he could uh, you know, control his ball flight, hit a lot of fairways hit short enough clubs in and give himself a lot of birdie chances. And um, on Sunday, he never looked like uh, relinquishing the lead, did he? He just looked absolutely solid. And uh, from the moment he hit that set, uh, first green in two, you kind of thought he just looked in completely control and it didn't look like anyone else was going to win it, in, in my opinion. Yeah, that's right. And I said earlier on, he came out very strongly, very assertively. And really, after the first two or three holes, he actually looked like the winner right there. Uh, no one else really had that same uh, kind of assuredness about the way they were playing. Everyone else looked a little bit edgy and not, maybe not maybe not quite believing themselves, maybe kind of making the most of the so-called hard conditions on Sunday, but kept going out there and just played great and was very solid throughout and uh, very professional, very seasoned performance, obviously. But you mentioned there, obviously, that he hasn't won that many times in the PGA Tour and 
he said himself that he's felt like an underachiever for quite some time where he has a great self-belief in his game and uh, he won two years ago in Phoenix Bats the last time he'd won. He's had chances since then, like you say, and he's played well in majors in the past. He was obviously a great player in the Ryder Cup uh, last year for America, where, of course, they won that one at Hazeltine. But he hasn't. He hadn't won on the PGA Tour in, in two and a half years, essentially. Uh, and given the talent level he has, given the way we, we kind of, we, people have been talking about him as being a, a potential uh, winner on tour and a potential you know top player, was it a surprise to you that he hadn't won until the US Open for, for two and a half years? Yeah, it is a surprise. Um, I, you know, I, I'm surprised. You, yeah, even we're talking about it, but the the fact that he that he hasn't done it, kind of, you know, he, he's always up there. He's always on the radar. So you kind of you kind of think of him as a a top world class player, and you always have done over the last couple of years. But those those wins, it normally you say it's troubling, it's worrying. But he won so convincingly at the weekend. Um, yeah. Maybe it just didn't happen for him, and maybe there's that tiny little bit of self belief, but. It, it wasn't lacking in self-belief at the weekend, was he? And um, he's a very calm individual on the outside. So I wonder whether it just needs a bit of spark or or something to happen for him. But um, it is surprising, but um, it wouldn't be surprising now to see him win lots and lots, would it? Uh, and go and win several majors um, now. Um, although we're obviously in a streak of first-time winners. But, um, yeah. you know, uh, you could see him. USPJ, why, why, why wouldn't he go and win that, uh, for instance? It's quite hard... Uh, mm. To, to come up with reasons why he can't now go on and win quite a few times. So, I, I yeah, to be honest, I can't put my finger on why he hasn't won. He's always been up there. So um, sometimes it's just a case of knocking on the door a lot and um, quite often it doesn't open. But um, now, he's, now he's got that win, maybe he'll get in the winning habit. Well, it certainly opened for him at the weekend at the US Open. I think winning a major championship kind of uh, that you know that, that puts to right any missed chances that he's had in the past couple of years. And you know now he's a major champion. He's got a great status now. You know he's now really been talked about as being one of the, the top players in the game. And right now, obviously, you mentioned some of the top guys that missed the cut, the likes of Dustin Johnson and Jason Day and Rory McIlroy, who aren't quite in top form right now. There's almost like a little door open there for someone to come through this summer as we get towards the Open Championship, the WGC, the PGA Championship to come through there and almost take the mantle as being the top player this summer and Brooks a couple of years ago when he, when he won in Phoenix he mentioned his ambition in the game was to be the top player he wanted to be world number one that was his burning desire obviously now he's he's a lot closer to that accolade and you'll feel like he's almost he's closer to it right now obviously being a major champion and uh, it's certainly a big thing obviously another young American player winning a major and uh, great for them obviously over there and he has obviously a very popular sort of social media presence with uh, no laying up, being quite a supportive of Brooks over the past few years. They kind of cited him as being a potential big star a few years ago, and that's obviously rung true. And like you say, he's very calm on the outside and very determined. Um, he's got a strong self-belief, and he's obviously got a great game. And now he has kind of the little added bit of magic that comes from being a major champion that could certainly be something he carries on with in the coming years. Going forward, it's obviously a very a great champion on a, on a golf course that was uh, you know, kind of perhaps atypical for the US Open. But looking at the golf course itself, Owen, obviously a new venue for the US Open. We came in here, we saw the, the stuff about the long rough and whatnot, which is slightly overplayed, of course, in the end, because the fairways were quite wide. Of course, it was in play for some guys. Rory McIlroy might regret uh, saying what he did before the tournament started about guys uh, hitting the rough and then having to go home, but he did that in the end, of course. That wrong true for him. But looking at the golf course, obviously, Owen, a big, long golf course. But for these guys, now length isn't really a challenge anymore unfortunately and uh, it's more about obviously how you can try and trick it up a little bit and USGA I think to their credit 
didn't really trick up the course at all this past week. It was a very fair setup by their standards. Really, in the end, it relied very much on the, the weather conditions. I think if the, the golf course had played windier and harder than it did, then I think it would have been a, a much more difficult test. But obviously, it was soft conditions with the rain that they had. The wind wasn't really there in any great extent until really the first half of the final round. So conditions weren't really there for the USG, and often people kind of kind of look at the the 16 under par winning score, saying, "Well, that's not a US Open. That's not how how it should be." But obviously, oh, in the USG, I've tried to experiment in the last few years. They went to Chambers Bay a couple of years ago, which was not a success for many reasons. This year, a new venue in Erin Hills. But going forward, they're going back to more traditional venues like Shinnecock and Wingfoot and, and Pebble Beach. So a lot of people had the criticism, Owen, that this golf course felt more like a, a USPJ championship, like a Kiowa Island or, or a Whistling Straits. It felt more suited to that event than the US Open. How did you feel Erin Hill stood up as a US Open venue? Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't like it a lot, to be honest. Um, I think the course played fine, and I think it obviously is a good golf course in its own right, and the players quite enjoyed playing it. The leaderboard was a bit iffy, maybe, at the end. I think the quality of the leaderboard and the amount of top players at the top... And Brooks Koepka is obviously a top, top player. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood's becoming a top player, and there's there quite a few up there. But I think the best golf courses produce the best leaderboards quite often. Yeah. Uh, and and there has to be some question marks over why there was such a, such a lack of the very best players in the world up at the top of that leaderboard. Um so, so for me, that that's a, that's a big question mark over the golf course, um, and I'm kind of with a lot of people in that the U.S. Open. I feel like the, each of the four majors need an identity, uh, and you've obviously got the Masters played around Augusta every year. It has its identity because of that. The Open's yeah. played on a Lynx course, the only major that's played on a Lynx course, and that has its identity. And then you've got the U.S. Open, which for me is the next one that does have an identity, and it's just you know played over uh, old golf courses, traditional golf courses in America. Pretty thick, rough, rightly or wrongly, um, set up very hard, hard, fast greens, emphasis on hitting fairways. Um, and, and this wasn't um, the same setup as that. And the, and the USPGA is very much a kind of big golf course. Uh, and, and this was set up like USPGA. And I, I kind of don't like that. I didn't like the Chambers Bay um, kind of one either. And I kind of I kind of think the US Open probably needs to stick to its kind of roots. And, um, and you know the challenge, you know the setup, you know it's going to be a really stern test. And, um, you know, very thick, rough, very small fairways, very hard greens. And, and that kind of, for me, gives its identity. Um, mm-hmm. Very old country club, American country club feels. And um, so I understand what the US Open has been trying to do, but I think it really is into US PGA territory. And I think it, it's dangerous for it to do that sort of thing and lose its identity in that way. Uh, and actually, it's interesting to see after these, this experiment with Chambers Bay and Erin Hills that, that the US Open will be going... Um, back to traditional venues for the next 10 years as a minimum, I think, um, yeah. will be at, at venues that have held the US Open before. So, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one to gauge because the golf course in itself obviously played OK. But, um, you know, 7,800 yards is a bit too long for me and surely we can come up with uh, a better test than that. And I, I don't know what you think, Kieran, but it goes back to the adage we've been talking about par threes on this podcast in the past. And we're struggling to come up with a par three, a great par three that's that's longer than 200 yards. And and I would argue, you know, were any of the par fours that were over 500 yards great holes at Erin Hills? You know, they're, mm. I, they're just slog fest for me. So it's kind of, um, do, does it need to be like that? Do we need to build golf courses that are 7,800 yards long? Do we need to play in the hands of the Bombers and these athletes? Or 
can we find a golf course that requires a bit more finesse, skill and shot making in order to play it? So I, I don't know what you you think, Kieran, whether you agree with that or, or you enjoyed the venue. Yeah, I think one thing that stands out about Aaron Hills is the fact that when you talk about the golf course in terms of the holes on it, the one hole that really stood out over the week was actually the short par three, the ninth, 140 yards downhill. It was a little bit tricked up a little bit in the, fa- the final day. The green's a little bit extreme and the pin was a bit silly. But overall, that was the one hole that sort of stood. The rest of them kind of felt the same. They, they sort of looked the same. They played the same. And it was watching, like you say, kind of a slog fest with kind of the bombers going at it. There was less kind of finesse to it. Obviously, it asked different kind of questions than what most US Opens would do in the past. And I have some criticism of previous uh, US Open venues, of course, in terms of I think some, some of the set- setups have been far too severe down the years and they're a little bit too restrictive and haven't always identified great players. However, I do think you're right there about the identity of the four majors. They have to be distinct from each other. And actually, in the past, the US PGA has always felt a little bit US Open light. It has really a lack of status that's unique. It feels very much like an amped-up tour event. But this year, I think the US Open felt like a PGA Championship, light, like a light version of that. So, yeah, I think for those two majors, obviously the Masters and the Open have their own unique identity and that's um, sorted. But the other two are kind of jostling for position right there. And I feel in the last few years that the US Open's perhaps lost a little bit of its luster in terms of the courses, in terms of obviously some mistakes that they've made in running the event. And I think that's kind of diminished some of the status of the US Open, which is a shame. But I think we go back obviously next year at Shinnecock and then Pebble and then Foot, obviously real classic venues of some great history. That's kind of the US Open that we've all grown up and either loved or hated but we're still that's still a US Open that's what we can appreciate as being one of those so yeah I think going forward it'll be interesting to see obviously how the the players respond to going back to more traditional venues and more traditional setups uh, going forward but you mentioned one player there Owen uh, Tommy Fleetwood of course had a great year he won in Abu Dhabi he played really well in the World Golf Championship in Mexico finishing second there it's had a great season this is his first real taste of contending in a major championship and really I think in the end he didn't play his best on Sunday but he, he scrambled round well he held on to his position. A great result then for him. Obviously, a massive confidence boost for him. Great for the rankings and money and whatever else. But looking at him, Owen, obviously, he's a great ball striker. He's the top ball striker in the European Tour. He seems to have a very good attitude. You know, how impressed are you by uh, how impressed are you by his performance at the weekend there? And what do you think he can do going into this summer, where of course he's going to be playing in the Open at Birkdale, which is his uh, home venue, of course. Yeah, I mean, he has got to be right up there with the favourites of Birkdale now, hasn't he? I mean, he is... There's a bit of pressure on him. He's a local lad. I think he grew up in Southport. Um, mm-hmm. He was attached for a long time to Formby Hall. I know the, he is now a kind of parklandy, good good parkland course in, in uh, Southport. And um, I think he was a Hesketh lad originally. So we've been talking about those great links courses there. He will know Birkdale like the back of his hand. And he will have played that open course, um, you know, off the open tees, the open setup. Um, so many times, um, brilliant ball striker. You could see his iron play, just the way uh, the way he controls his ball flights. Um, he's got everything going for him, and he's obviously full of confidence. And although I was bemoaning our uh, our kind of predictions and picks for this U.S. Open uh, earlier, I, I think we did talk on the podcast actually when Fleetwood played well earlier this year about um, how he could how he could uh, take on the next stage of his career. And actually, I think we talked about how he could use Justin Rose. Uh, very much as a model as to where he wants to go. And he very nearly emulated uh, Justin Rose in winning a US Open um, 
you know, mm-hmm. even a bit sooner than I think we thought he would. Um, so, yeah, that's the sky's the limit for him. I, you know, he's obviously, I don't think he's going to play that wins a, a, a lot of majors, but there's, you know, there's no reason he can't now uh, be a top 10 in the world player. Look at the Luke Donalds, look at the Justin Roses of this world and, and say, I'm going to emulate those. And um, and he's up there, it seems, you know, every week. And he obviously rises to the big occasion. He had a good WGC as well earlier this year, I think. And, um, Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I can't I can't see why he won't compete at Birkdale at all. I mean, the only thing that will stop him um, competing, I think, if he gets in his own way a bit and the, the pressure of being the local lad and the expectation gets in his way. But um, if he can deal with that, there's no reason why he can't compete up there. And I'd be very surprised not to see him uh, up in the top 10. Yeah, he's had a great year and uh, really kind of he's overcome a minor slump in his career. Obviously, he had a great start to his career on a European Tour 1 early, he was a very good amateur player. World number one amateur, I think, indeed, back in the day. And uh, he won the Challenge Tour at 20. So he had a great young start to his career. Won the Johnny Walker at Glen Eagles when he was 22, I think he was. And then kind of he slumped away a little bit. But this past sort of 18 months, he's really come back strongly. And uh, he's certainly riding on the kind of crest of a wave right now. Burning confidence, uh, consistent results. And uh, he's uh, he's enjoying it. And I think he has a, a refreshingly kind of relaxed attitude. He's a hard worker, but I think he's... Uh, he enjoys it as well, and I think that's going to stand him in good stead going forward. And obviously, a great ball striker, and that's obviously a huge asset to have, particularly in an open championship venue. If the wind gets up, it's really important to control your flight and uh, strike the ball well. And he's certainly one of the best at that in the world right now. And yeah, one I have guy to say who... here and there, just to stop you, I think the most entertaining bit of the final round of the US Open was. Um, when the Fox News coverage, um, or the Fox coverage of it, Fox, got Fox in close News. with his caddy. <laughs> And uh, thinking of all those Americans trying to understand exactly what his caddy was saying in a in a really hard Scouse accent, I, th- I did have a giggle to myself every time that that came on. Yeah, well, to be fair, I didn't understand what they were saying either, so it was fine. So any any subtitles would be required, I think, for uh, for those two. And uh, yeah, it was obviously they're kind of again they're kind of accessible guys. They're not kind of the typical you know upper class. Guys are more kind of working class golfers, kind of accessible, relatable. I think people kind of connect with that. Obviously, we've kind of seen with uh, Beef Johnston in the past couple of years in European Tour, people sort of connect with those more regular looking guys. And I think Tommy's one of those guys as well. And I think that's people quite kind of relate to him with his shaggy hair and his kind of overgrown stubble. Not as refined as your beard, Owen, of course. But uh, yeah, so he's uh, people do people do relate to uh, Tommy. And uh, he's a, he's a, he seems to be a good lad and he's a good player, that's for sure. The one guy who didn't have a great US Open, we'll quickly mention him, of course, was Rory McIlroy. Came in all the big talk about the fescue. He was putting everybody else down. He was confident. He was really up for the event, loved the course. But he missed the cut quite convincingly in the end. And obviously we talked last week on about how he hasn't played much this year, stop-start season with injuries and so on, how that was going to affect him. Obviously maybe he's a little bit rusty in a competitive sense, and that's why he missed the cut. Uh, but going into the next few weeks, he's playing this week in America. He's playing the Irish Open. He's playing the Scottish Open, the Open. Obviously, he's, had a re- he's playing six out of the next eight weeks, I think. So just how important do you think that will be for Rory? And can we, you know, is it unfair to try and judge him right now? Should we actually judge where he is in his game after the next five, six weeks? Well, I think he's, he's entered the event and told us that he feels they can win him. So we can judge him uh, all we like. And he was rubbish. To be frank, he was terrible, wasn't he? Uh, Don't hold I mean, back the, now, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, well, the first tee shot. I mean, he obviously came out, and I, I really approved of what he said. Uh, you know, I think it was it was great that he said the fairways are really wide. And um, then I watched him hit his first tee shot and barely missed the uh, fescue with his first tee shot on Thursday. So, um, 
he, uh, he's not been good and he's not been good this year and he's obviously had a lot of injuries and the same can be said you know Jason Day's had his problems Dustin Johnson's had his problems obviously Jason Day's had his personal problems with his mother um, being ill so they, they have got some excuses the group of them and and McElroy's injuries are a huge concern I mean you look at what's happened to Woods and and the way he swings the club you just wonder how fit he is going to stay now for the next uh, 10 12 15 years and you know it may be that these guys don't have a career till 50 anymore and and you know 40s as far as they go because they're swinging at the ball you know so hard they're putting so much pressure on their bodies so um i hope it's a blip for rory he's obviously massively exciting to watch um literally poetry in motion isn't it his swing and um but i do fear for him at the moment he doesn't he doesn't there's something not there is it he's he's not quite right somehow whether it's their injuries whether it's um that horrible word that woods uses reps that he needs uh i'm not quite sure how hard he's working at his game. I know he was at Quinta de Lago for two weeks before uh, the US Open, working hard at his game down in Portugal. Um, but yeah, I, I, playing on the golf course, there's no substitute, is it? So is there? So six next six to eight weeks are going to be key for him, and uh, we'll know a lot, lot more at the end of that whether he is actually in a slump uh, with his game and it's an, and it's an issue, or whether he has simply not had enough golf. So. Um, time will tell, but um, the signs haven't been great this year for certain. Um, I'm not that yeah. confident about the rest of the year for him right now. Yeah, it's certainly a big summer for Rory. Obviously, a lot of big events coming up, and it will be if he doesn't pick up any wins or contend in any majors, then I think it will be a very disappointing season for him overall. You know, last year he won the FedEx Cup, won the big money. Yet for him, that wasn't enough, and uh, I think this year that seems to be where he's going to trend again, where he might start hitting form after the season's really ended and that's really not good enough for a player of his stature obviously you know when he's on I still think he's the best player in the game but he has to go out there and show that uh, that fact obviously this summer in Ireland and Scotland and England obviously in the PGA Championship as well where, where he's won before at Quail Hollow a venue that's so suited to him there in Charlotte uh, North Carolina so it's going to be a big week for him there in August but obviously the Open before that and the Irish Open you know, huge weeks for Rory can he come through and pick up a win again and show us the, the great quality that he has uh, like you say, their poetry in motion with that great powerful swing and obviously the way he can sort of bring courses and fields to their knees like he did at the Irish Open last year. Obviously, so uh, the Irish Open is so. a big week for him, I think, Kieran. I think yeah. that you know, he's playing, you know, last year it was around the K Club. It suits his game. You can bomb it around there. It was very, I played the K Club last year in the spring, a few weeks before it was played. It was very wet and it kind of suited him a lot. Um, this time it's Port Stewart. Um, mm-hmm. Links course just before the open, it's gonna it's gonna be a big big test for him in front of big crowds to see where his game's at for the open and whether he can compete for the last two majors of the year. Yeah, and obviously he's gonna play the Scottish Open at Dundonald as well in between those two weeks. So he's kind of trying he's trying to pack in a, a busier schedule than what he has done in the past, but it's again trying to make up for the lost time that he's had this season. And you you mentioned they're actually going to Quinta de Lago, which actually last week I said was actually in Spain. You said it's in Portugal, and that shows just how unwell-travelled I am. But of course, if you live in St Andrews, Owen, you don't want to travel too far away from here. So that's that's why I'm so unknowledgeable when it comes to European golf resorts, because you're the man to ask in that regard. What's that? <laughs> you don't need <laughs> yeah, to go exactly. very far. No, I don't. That's true. Plenty of courses right here. You mentioned there, obviously, how far these guys hit golf balls, and golf balls are now obviously a huge topic in the golf market. Premium golf balls, indeed, obviously, the days of the Pro V1 sort of having the monopoly on that market are perhaps changing slightly. The market's kind of diversifying. I think it's fair to say there's so many great brands out there. You can run through them off. TaylorMade are out there with TP5, which, of course, Sergio uses. 
Obviously, Shrixen have their Z Star. There's Vice golf balls now that are becoming increasingly popular. And of course, Callaway has the Chrome Soft. And Owen, as part of your work with Golf Shake, you obviously spent some time over in the PGA Show earlier this year in America and Florida, sampling some of these uh, products, talking to some of the, the industry experts and leaders. So, what is your impression as to where the premium golf ball market is right now in the game of golf? I think I think of all the sectors right now, I think Kieran, it's the most interesting because um, actually, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of how far the golf ball is going now, and I think the the USGA and RNA could have limited this a long, long time ago, stopped the ball going so far because in the end, you buy balls because you lose them, um, not for any other reason necessarily. So they could have limited the golf ball a bit and let the manufacturers carry on with their technology and. And, and the actual industry in terms of the brands might be a bit more buoyant than it is right now. So um, that aside, it's a very interesting sector um, because it's hotted up. And, it, and there was one ball, and we'll, we'll talk about now, the, the, now the Titleist Pro V1 has dominated for years and years and years and was, uh, in many people's opinion, quite a way ahead of anything else out there. And it's certainly the ball that the players on tour we're trusting in using week in week out but this year signaled a bit of a change i mean strixon have have come into the market over the last four or five years and shaken it up a little bit uh, and certainly you've got the guys like hideki matsuyama um, um using that ball uh, very successfully and there's quite a few guys out there who've used that ball very successfully on tour and proven that they can use it um but it's now shaking up so much that actually you have tailor-made producing a very very high quality golf ball uh, very well engineered and that and, and that gap has got closer along with Callaway uh, and these other premium balls, three, four-piece balls that are made uh, by the likes of Vice, um, Snell, Spring to Mind, Forte. Um, the, the gap in that market is closing. So the technology gap between the very top player and some of the middle ground players has got a lot smaller in the last year, two years. So uh, the consumers have a lot more choice. Uh, and I think that that's super interesting. So um it's well worth and the price point's a bit different as well so it's well worth going out there and actually trying uh quite a few different balls and that's something we've done uh, at golf shake this year i've i've tested quite a lot of balls uh personally uh we've also got quite a lot of ambassadors on the site to go out there and we've given them the balls to go and test so i'd urge you to go on to golf shake have a look at some of these balls um just search in the toolbar for for forte and vice and tp5 and you'll see some some interesting reviews have come up there and um and, and really, there, there is a great choice in the market. And there's actually quite a big difference in price points and the way these are sold as well. So you've obviously got traditional um, uh, selling methods through PGA Pros or um, big golf shops. Um, but there's also now an online option where you can buy direct from the manufacturer, which are, are the likes of Vice, Forte, Snell as well, where you can buy actually in bulk, save yourself a bit of money and still buy a three and four piece premium golf ball. So uh, it's quite an interesting market, hotting up. Those gaps in, in um, you know, manufacturing processes are smaller than they were. Um, so it's definitely worth going out to try them. Yeah, absolutely. And you said there about the, the ambassadors and whatnot and golf shake and obviously a great variety of handicaps and skill levels. Obviously, Owen, you're a more accomplished player than many of the ambassadors are, but obviously kind of a mid-handicappers, we cover that as well. Obviously, so different golf balls, different players, different needs. But obviously trying to... 
obviously it's a great choice here, like you say, a great variety of options now, which is obviously good for any marketplace to have a variety of uh, products there that are all of a very good high quality and indeed some that are quite affordable as well, not quite as premium price as uh, they have been in the past. But how do you think, Owen, how can regular golfers listen to this right now? Obviously, they don't want to go out there and buy a box of every single brand and test them because that costs a lot of money, obviously. So how would the regular golfer go out and try and find the right golf ball for their game? Well, I think I think that is that is quite tricky actually, and and you will have some more of this. I mean, one one thing you you could say is that a lot of golf, uh, a lot of players probably aren't playing uh, necessarily the right ball for them. You know, the the spin rates between these balls is massive. Um, even between the Pro V One and the Pro V One X is is quite a big spin differential uh, and a flight differential. So. It is expensive to go and try these balls. What I would say is is try and maybe go to your local golf shop and PGA Pro and actually try two or three, maybe narrow it down to two or three different um, to golf balls and try them against each other. And and what I would say is you might think with the premium balls there's not a big difference in the way that they feel, the way they react. But I actually did some testing uh, with Titleist actually last year and, and, and we did a lot of work around uh, the short game area of trying different balls against each other so you could you could ask your pro if you could just go and putt with several different ones and then hit a few tips with different ones as well and he might well give you some to go and have a go at that that, that isn't going to damage the golf ball and um and you'd be absolutely amazed at the different feel the different spin rates just on chipping around the green um that that can create and so it, it is worth testing them against each other if you possibly can and you can afford it it's a hugely important party game um, you know, around the greens and understanding how these balls work for you, and and that's another thing. So when you're looking at um, uh, picking a golf ball for you and really fitting a golf ball, I think it's very very important that you start at the green and then work your way backwards. So, you know, you're going to hit 30 to 40 putts around. Um, nearly everyone's going to hit that many shots. Um, so you're going to hit 30% of your of your shots in a round is going to be putting. So the feel of the putter is very important. And then from 120, 110 yards in, you're going to hit another probably 30% of your shots. So 60 or 70% of your shots on the golf course are going to come from 110, 120 yards in. So how the ball feels off the club face, on and around the greens, how it putts, how it spins, is really the most important part in picking your golf ball. And then you can work at the long game and spin rates off your driver and so on. But really, you must get that chipping, putting, um, pitching right with your golf ball choose a ball that spins the way you want it to round the greens choose the one that feels great off the putter to you and and that way you'll pick the right ball that you're going to get the most benefit from and that's really a mistake that a lot of golfers make is they don't do that kind of working from the green backwards uh, rather than the other way around uh, and then and then you've obviously got to consider price point that they are expensive golf balls and price point will come into that so you've got to choose a price point that you're comfortable with there's no there's no point in going on the golf course where you're using a ball that's four pounds a ball and you're worried about losing it because it will have a detrimental effect on your game i'm certain so there's a couple of things to consider there we, we've done a lot of ball testing and thought a lot about it talked to a lot of manufacturers but fit from the green backwards uh, and choose the right price point and uh, and you'll find the right golf ball for your game 
Yeah, obviously for very serious golfers, that's certainly something they have to consider. Of course, when you mentioned their price points, I'm very much a fan of the free golf balls, the ones that I find on the golf course in the rough. That's the ones I go for. So a few Dunlops and Pinnacles in there occasionally. Actually, that said, since I've been in St. Andrews, I've got a lot of Pro V1s in the rough. A lot of these rich Americans, I'm afraid, they all lose these Pro V1s left, right and centre. They're everywhere. So I actually have a fair stack of Pro V1s now. And a few Chrome Softs, too. They're quite popular as well. Unfortunately, no TP5s yet. I'm hoping a few Spaniards might come over here and lose a few balls and get some of them from well of them. course so, yeah. you've got to be in the rough for some reason to find them well as you know Owen, i'm in the rough quite a lot i quite enjoy taking the scenic route around the golf course like i quite like enjoying taking the kind of the nature in you know the birds and the bees and all that sort of stuff i love all that so i like to try and uh, sample all that when i'm there and uh, actually you said that about the rough but some of that fescue grass at the straff course here in st andrews is pretty rough right now and i'll tell you what that's a part of the easy course so Andrew's Links Trust, if you're listening to this right now, cut down that rough because some of these old grannies out there, they're getting stuck and lost and I'm amongst them. So come on, get it sorted out. But um, yeah, so obviously the golf course for everybody here in St Andrews and uh, indeed even the easiest one is now much harder than I think it was uh, intended to be with the way the course is set up at the moment. But yeah, obviously Owen, great talking with you again this week on the Golf Sheet Podcast. Again, obviously US Open's come and gone. Onward now towards the Open Championship. Obviously, we're now in the height of summer. You know, light nights. It's actually, you know, we still literally be playing golf right now here in St Andrews. Actually, I watched the St Andrews Links webcam last night and there was guys out playing at 20 to 11 on the old course. So this shows you, obviously, light nights at the moment, twilight golf. You know, get out there and play. It's the best time of year. Record your scores and stats in Golf Shake. Get out there testing different golf balls. Find some pinnacles, perhaps, in the rough and use some of them, maybe. Uh, they could be for you. You never know and get out there and play obviously that's obviously what we're going to try and be focusing on in the weeks ahead as we get towards the Open and obviously the great highlight of the summer obviously great golf coming to Ireland and Scotland and England of course at the Open so obviously it's a, it's all happening in the golf world right now and Owen obviously hopefully by the time the Open comes around it won't be quite as hot in the in England at that point so Owen try and get an ice bath right now and try and uh, chill out a little bit eh? Thanks Kieran. I'm off for a cold beer and offer a, offer a cold beer, ladies and gentlemen. We're actually recording this on a Tuesday evening at uh, 20 past 10 at night. And Owen, on a school night, is offer a cold beer at this time of night. Oh, that's shocking. There we go. That just shows you the, the professionalism that we have here in Golf Shake, indeed. So, yes, once again, thank you for listening to this week's Golf Shake podcast. My name is Kieran Clark, alongside uh, the soon-to-be-drunken Owen Davis. Thank you for listening. Good night. Cheers. <laughs>